Welcome to a new episode of the Film at Lincoln Center podcast. This week, we're presenting conversations about Naturno and identifying features, two equally impressive films that are both New York Times critics' picks. The first discussion features Oscar-nominated filmmaker Gianfranco Rossi in conversation with New York Film Festival's director of programming, Dennis Lim, on Rossi's latest immersive work of nonfiction. Shot over the course of three years along the borders of Iraq, Kurdistan, Syria, and Lebanon, Naturno is a nighttime ramble through a region rocked and shattered by catastrophe and violence. The second conversation centers on identifying features and includes director Fernanda Valadez and co-writer and producer Astrid Rondero in a dialogue with FLC assistant programmer Dan Sullivan at the 49th New Director's New Films. The film is a suspenseful slow burn, equally constructed of moments of beauty and horror surrounding a mother's search for the truth about her son. Both films are now available in our virtual cinema. Let's continue to the talks. Welcome back uh, to the Q&A for Naturno. I'm very pleased to be joined by the film's director, Gianfranco Rossi. In my room in Naples. Yes. <laughs> Sadly not here, but uh, uh, thanks, thanks for, for being with us. Um, you showed us your map in the introduction and, and talked about this idea of borders, but um, I thought we could start by maybe pulling back a bit and um, if you can tell us what drew you to the region in the first place. I assume it was Lampedusa that led you to yeah. the Middle East. It was a natural uh, step, you know, after filming Lampedusa and seeing this wave uh, of people arriving to Lampedusa, um, it became like a necessity to go to the other side of the island, uh, to cross the sea and to arrive uh, into the place where uh, still at the time when I started the film, the conflict with ISIS was like somehow um, tuning down and uh, there was a moment of hope for the region. Um, this wave of, uh, of migrants uh, somehow was stopping. And I thought that this was the right moment to see a, a Middle East that was uh, trying to get a, a, a new form, you know, a new form after it was uh, the only people, the city was resisting at the time when I went there, it was Raqqa. And, um, and uh, that's where I start uh, uh, somehow engaging myself in the film, you know, to start uh, uh, traveling around these uh, uh, borders that were formal um, ISIS state. And, uh, and still there were the wave of conflict was constantly there. There was a huge uh, still struggle and, uh, and, uh, and, uh, and friction in between, uh, in between the, those borders. But my first choice was like not to film the, the war. You know, I went uh, often to the the place where war was happening and I never shot a single frame there because you know war when happening in a place is just a it's, it's always the same thing you know there's a battle there's a thing there's a lot of weight there's power uh, so international power interacting there is uh, things and it's a, it's a film that repeats uh, its own but uh, I understood that uh, the war has a much longer wave of uh, of destruction and it uh, arrives to hit uh, people which often are far away from the zone where the, the war is happening. And that's where I started the film, you know, going on to, into this border. Uh, these were borders that they were 
um, the, the, they were dividing life from hell, life from destruction, uh, life from the sound of war. And yet their life that they met, that they were, they were trying to, to rebuild their daily life, you know, and, uh, and that's how the film started. They encountered people that they were somehow um, trying to put together their life. And what I always encountered was this extreme sense of acceptances, you know, mm. sense in the lack of future, in this suspended future, in this uh, tragedy of destiny, in this betrayal of, uh, of history, uh, I was looking for a moment uh, where the life was a synthesis, you know, the, where there was a core also of uh, storytelling. And then uh, to give my, my journey to people I really literally encountered by chance. And then this chance became a necessity more and more and more. So the first eight months I was traveling without a camera, without a film camera, without a photograph, without nothing, just with a notebook. And uh, the first step was um, encountering a place which has somehow a strong, uh, a strong uh, roots with something, and which I call the absolute almost, you know? And then within this area, this space, I had to meet a person, a people that were able to, to give me some universal element. You know? Can I ask you to define what you mean that with this, 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 you talk about roots and this, the absolute, is that a feeling or is that? No, no, they were like really, as you see in the map, there were really few people, place of conflict, you know, this area is where 3 million people died. This area is where like uh, the Yazidi women, 6,000 women, they were, uh, they were uh, taken taken away from their own home. Right. So you're looking for sites. This was a place where still there was a conflict with the thing. This was Raqqa, the, cap the capital of ISIS. This is the, the extreme place of Lebanon where still ISIS influence was still there. And this is the poorest city in the Middle East. So I, I, I looked of all these places where somehow there was, a, okay. there was a, an influence from what ISIS uh, uh, created. Okay. You know, Baghdad, the, the, the hospital, the psychiatric hospital in Baghdad. Uh, but then, of course, the big challenge of the film, how do I put together all this story? You know, how this, this story from place to place, from different backgrounds, from different sources of, uh, of, uh, of conflict, how am I going to put this film together? I never thought when I was filming that this was going to be a mad I said, I'm going to think about this in the editing. But for mm -hmm. me, it was important mm -hmm. to encounter the story. You know? So the first uh, I, I met the hunter, and the hunter brought me into that, uh, into the marshland. And then I met uh, this kid and I realized that this kid to survive has to become like a, a dog that brings the, 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 the birds to the hunter. And then I, I find the, the, the story of the mother in this, uh, in this, um, um, uh, this prison that was built by Saddam Hussein, with Saddam Hussein where, where, where the, 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 the Kurdish community was, uh, was uh, destroyed at the time. Mm -hmm. And then, so all this, air, all this place uh, that I filmed in a way, and so what, how I'm gonna put this together? I never thought when I was filming that. I said, okay, this is going to be in the editing. But I never lost faith that this was possible to do it, you know, to, to yeah. give the story to this narr and the narration of the film to, to the people I encounter. So mm. before we talk about the editing and, and the form of the film, I, I, I'm just curious to hear you more, say more about and what happens when you get to these places? You know, how do these encounters come about? How do you, what is the process of, in a way, casting for you, which is obviously such an important part of 
your films. I mean, the, the films are not just about places, they're about people. Well, it's always different, you know. I can tell you the first story encounter in the film is, was the story of the phone call, this dramatic voice coming from, uh, coming from uh, a young uh, Yazidi woman. She was 21, 22 at the time, she was married. And I was, in, uh, I was here in this area. Um, in uh, in the Sinjar, in, I was here up in the Sinjar area, and I was filming the devastation of the thing. At a certain point, there is this guy, very young, 22, 23, he came up to me and he said, are you filming here? What are you doing? So I explained what I was doing, uh, what was the intention of my film. And he said, you know, my wife was, um, three years ago, was uh, kidnapped by ISIS people. And since then, uh, we never saw her. She's part of the... Uh, the women that they were taken from the village. And if you come to my house, I'm gonna show you all the phone call that I have that is desperate uh, um, cry for her. And I went to his house and, uh, and he gave me this phone and it's like three, four hours of uh, these desperate messages. I didn't know what to do with that. I started filming just the phone with this. He didn't want to be part of the film. But I said, this is something I have to have. After I filmed all the conversation, he asked me, why are you filming this? I said, well, because of the sound is still, I didn't understand what was going on, but I know that was something extremely desperate and, uh, and there was something that I had to, to have uh, in, the, in the film. I didn't know how I would have approached the story. And he didn't want to be part of the story. I knew also that. And then at the end, I said, you don't need to record this, uh, this phone. I give, you, I give you the phone to you. And he gave me this phone. And I kept this phone for three years, basically. This sound recorder was always in my ear, constantly, the sound of desperation coming from this young girl, a young woman. And every time I was filming in the area, in the, Kurdi, in the area of the Peshmerga, in the area of Sinjar, I went there like five, six times, maybe throughout these three years. And uh, I keep meeting him and he, doesn't want to be part of the movie. Then the last time I went there was almost, I almost finished shooting. I wanted to film some, some still some part with the, um, with the Peshmerga woman when they're, when they're inside the, the room and wanted to, to spend more time with them. And I said, asked to my assistant, let's go back to that, uh, to that village where we met, uh, which gave us the phone. And, um, and, uh, I met him again. He said, listen, I got married. I have nothing to do anymore with this story. But I tell you something, the mother that is in the phone that she calls, she's now in, uh, in Germany. She's, she's free and she lives in Stuttgart. And I can find out a phone number and maybe you can call her and meet her. So basically, this was the first story I encountered. After three years uh, having this phone, I didn't know what to do with this phone. I finally found the mother and she was living in Stuttgart. So that shot there of the mother is shot in Stuttgart. After three years, I, through the, the head of the community of the Yazidi, um, where I spent a lot of time with the kids, I spent more than two, three months there filming the kids and all the community. And uh, so I had this support from the Yazidi community and he called uh, this woman and she said, okay, I accept, I want to see him. This was the 20 was the beginning of the festival in Berlin, so before COVID. <clears throat> so this, I went straight from, from uh, Beirut, which was my last uh, base, to, to Rome and then to, to Stuttgart. And I met her 
10 o'clock in the morning, I had uh, uh, someone translating me. And I spent time with her from 10 o'clock in the morning till 4 o'clock where she told me all this devastating story. I didn't film anything. And I was with no breath, you know, to see the violence that this woman had uh, on her life. And at the end, it was knowing this apartment was this German apartment, completely out of place where I filmed before. And then I, th I said at the end, I said, listen, I have this phone, which is uh, with all the the voice of your daughter, I wanted to film, but I can't do that now. I said, no, no, I want to do that. I said, well, you want to do it? I look at this room where it was very dark and look at it like with the same cover that I find in my journey with flowers, with things. So I said, well, maybe in this place, there was no light anymore. It was completely dark. And suddenly she, I gave her this phone and she put down the phone, I put the camera there. And this is like one sequence of the of the film that I showed, and she was looking, listening all these messages, and the more dramatic the message was becoming, she has this breathe, and suddenly there's one tears coming out when there's a whispering of the daughter, uh, and then at that point I had to close the camera. She falls crying, and everybody were devastated. But this is just to tell you how the film is shot on a synthesis. You know, I always have to find the synthesis of something. There's no beginning of the story. There's not an end of the story, but somehow these three shots of the voice, the, 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 the devastation of the city, and the mother finally that they find after three years listening to the sound of the daughter, it was already a story there, you know, which happened in long, long process. So most of the story happened like that, you know, by chance and by going back always. Um, I think the fact that I traveled for three, for uh, six months, eight months without having the camera and just taking notes, I understood now that was a very important process that, because if I had the camera, I would have changed immediately the interaction sure. with people. And being alone there and just talking about an hypothetical film. Um, and then I was leaving immediately. I said, okay, this could be a, a person I want to work with. And then I didn't want to break the intimacy. I didn't want to say too much. But then I was always gave an appointment to them. I said, I'm gonna see you in six months. I'm gonna see you in two months. I'm gonna see you in eight months because I had a map of the encounter that I had. Okay, I can go from this area to this area. So I see, and when they saw me, and once I had the whole map of things that I wanted to shoot, which sometimes was a territory, sometimes was a landscape, sometimes was a tree, sometimes there were people. Once I have this territory, I said, okay, this is time for me to start filming. I wanted the so sorry, close the and then I say how the film, and and and, and then the the fact that I went back to them. And the point that was real, they opened completely their house. The, the trust was there. This guy, after eight months, is coming. We met in this road to the street. We had a tea. I told him a little bit of a story, and he's coming after eight months to meet me and to be part of, uh, of, a, of a story that he wants to say. So at that moment, it was like if we knew each other forever. You know, I always felt it's incredible opening up and, and be there and... Uh, and, and of course, things change dramatically once they take out the camera, you know, because yep. as we discussed other times, I don't believe I'm uh, invisible because I have yep. a very yep. big camera. This time I shot with an reflex, uh, big sound things, the tripod. And once you put the camera, things change no matter what, you know, and when it, uh, you transform things no matter what. The person that is in front, you change, they change, it is incredible ex and something else comes you know once you I put the, the the eyes in the viewfinder 
is the transformation things and what happened in front of the camera. I always choose one frame. Until that frame has not a story, I don't go away from that frame. So most of the time I miss things around me. It's about missing things. My, my work is about missing things. In three years, I probably missed thousands of stories, thousands of uh, uh, shots. But then when I gain that shot that is there and it's in my mind and I have to wait for the right moment with this, uh, waiting for the light, waiting for the thing, having a composition, using cinema to, to film something that is completely real, you know, using cinema but with the authority of a documentary or filming, or filming reality. Uh, and then there is a transformation. You know, that point becomes an incredible, it becomes something else constantly. And that's what I want to do always, using the, the tool, using the light, using the composition, using all the elements of cinema, but with the authority of a documentary, you know, mm -hmm. always knowing that what you have inside in front of you is real and knowing that no writer could write that and no actor could act that. You know, yeah. for me, this is what makes me keep doing what I'm doing, you know, because there's always an incredible sense of surprise. And what happened sometime before, it's uh, enormously unique, you know, it's like that moment is unique. And nobody, I could never write that and I could never think about that. And boom, sometime it happens, it's in front of you. And that's become a combination for me always between the tools of cinema and the reality that is in front mm -hmm. of you. Always waiting for the right moment when I film, you know, I yeah. wait, wait, I wait, it's about waiting. And when you go so close to people, you also realize that in the life of people, there is a, in all our life, there's a routine. And if you're close to them, you know exactly what's happening. You know how to anticipate center moment. You know that today is going to be a hunting or you know there's going to be something happening. And you know already where your camera wants to be and you just wait for that moment. Because also Ali, he had his own tree where he filmed. He has his own... Uh, road where he goes he keeps doing the same thing constantly so once you spend time with the with so you know exactly after where you put the camera and where you can construct it is today's a perfect light to put the camera down because the film started on the darkness in, in mm -hmm. my mind was like i always i wanted to not tour no i wanted to make the film at night because the night is hiding things i was so shy to film middle east and i didn't feel that i was the I was ready to do that. So I say this film has to be at night because night helps you to, is, to, to hide certain things, mm -hmm. you know, to be more discreet. A, 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 a piece of, uh, a, a, a branch of a tree could be, could, could be a snake at night, you know, and vice versa, a snake could be a branch of tree. So the night helped. But the more I was staying, the more I thought that the film could open up to the light, you know, and then to the, to the little light of the morning, twilight, and then open up to the, to the big light. And the big light, somehow I needed the help of the, of the, of the clouds because I could never shoot with the bright, bright sun. I always mm -hmm. felt, felt that the, the film had to be protected. And so that's why I was mostly filming in, in the winter. So also the cloud became part of the storytelling of my film, waiting for the clouds, you know? Right. I don't like to put the camera. So for me, waiting for the clouds was like a good pretense of not to film in a way. You know, it was like, okay, I don't have to film today. It's like too much bright. So I can wait two, three days to film. Because uh, when I, I suffer a lot when I film, you know, I don't enjoy filming, but... Uh, can we talk more about that moment of filming? Is It sounds like you use very much the same process that you've... Uh, 
you cultivate it in your other work. You have this sort of exploratory phase where you're traveling without a camera, you're finding locations, meeting people, and then you go back and then you shoot. And then when you shoot, you're still very, very deliberate. Um, you know, you're waiting for moments, creating moments instead of just taking a simply observational um, approach. But for a film like this, um, with in these situations, even though you're not shooting war, you're shooting, you know, the aftermath of war, you're on the edges of a conflict, you're in situations you that seem to have an element of danger, where there's also probably all kinds of language barriers. Were you traveling alone? Did you have an assistant? I mean, like, I mean, how, how all, easily adaptable is all, um, This film happened because in every country, I had an incredible field producer, you know, an executive producer from in, in, uh, in, in Syria, in Iraq, uh, in Kurdistan, in Lebanon. And this for me was my, my precious element. You know, I had people really I could trust, you know, and, and knew how to move. And then in every place I had an assistant a local assistant, and we were always two people, maximum three. Only in Kurdistan we were three people, and uh, but most of the place I was, we were two with one assistant, and uh, which was more than an assistant. It was my person I trust, the person I share, the person I we sleep in the same place, we fear in the same place. I had to trust when he said, Franco, stop. This is no good. Let's go." Or the day we come back, this is not the right moment. Sometimes when I film, you know, I don't realize what is around me. And danger was always there. To move from one area to another area sometimes was like 20 hours, 15 hours of travel by car. And in this traveling, there were like checkpoints and still there could be a checkpoint of ISIS. You are with militia and then you bring, the militia brings you another place and these two militia are fighting. And you have to trust someone that say, okay, we leave you to the other militia and you are okay there. So it was always trusting, trusting, trusting. So every shot is in the film, somehow I conquer, you know, although you don't see that in the movie. But the permits, location, be there, was an extreme difficult job. Oh, to shoot in the, in the psychiatric hospital was uh, six months of, uh, of, um, of waiting for the right permit to be able to be there. Every area, every checkpoint, you have to justify why we were there. So it was extremely, extremely complicated, the film. That's why it took so long also to do the film, waiting sometimes for a permit just to make one shot, waiting for the light just to make one shot, waiting to encounter someone, waiting to have something really interesting to film. So the film was about mostly waiting and, and uh, it was like war. <laughs> in a way, war is about waiting, you know? And the film was about waiting a lot. It was about... Uh, encountering, waiting for the counter, waiting for the light. It was about the suspension, you know? And I felt so close with in the, in the, what I'm feeling also, there's the same feeling of waiting or suspension, you know? It looks the waiting for the enemy, waiting for, for, uh, for a moment of peace, waiting for the, when the war is far away, waiting for the birds, waiting for the right, you know, so all the people encounter. It was uh, about uh, this very, very strong sense of waiting. And this uh, sense of uh, a suspended future, mm -hmm. you know, which was very interesting when I, when we start editing during the locked uh, lockdown with, during the COVID, for the first time I felt a very strong affinity, you know, on this waiting for us, this having this uh, border between life and danger outside the house, and uh, and having this idea of a future that is suspended, you know. Now, our future, it is suspended. And yeah. we're experiencing this for a very brief 
period of time and still we have our houses, we, we eat, uh, we are able to somehow more or less to have a, a life that is acceptable in this moment of danger. But imagine Ali was always born in that situation, you know? Uh, and so this condition that we're experiencing in a short, short time often is a condition of the only knowledge they have of life in certain territory there. Because yeah. it's a kid that world, that they're born with world, they live with the world. And everything is the sense of not knowing what is tomorrow. I think there is a shot in the film that is important for me, and this is at the beginning of when, when there is the soldier, and there is this scream of war from the soldier. Also, that shot, you know, I put the camera around in this area. I knew I got a permit to go there, and the morning they were doing this uh, exercise, the soldier. And I just arrived there, put the camera down, look inside. I didn't know how many people they were running around this field. And when I'm there, people are close to the camera, and there is a strong interaction with the camera, and they do this, huh, it's very strong, and then they, they fade away. And then I was hating that moment. Oh, why are they doing this? You know, the, but because there's a sense of protagonist there. But then I use this shot as a it's a metaphor of him because when these warriors are leaving, then you feel like oh, there's peace now. Nothing's happening, and then boom, again something else is happening. Again, an explosion of uh, of war, and that's big. Somehow, it's to be the metaphor of the whole film. You know, there's a moment of danger, and then there's a moment of peace, and then there's a moment where the war is far away. You don't know what it is, yeah. and that was a constant condition that I lived uh, when I was there during these three years. You know, this sense of danger always. Uh, always been there. I wanted to ask about one other aspect of the film, which I think maybe ties to how you described um, what you were trying to get from these, um, from these people in these places, this insistence on, on, on cinematic composition, you know, on, on, um, on carefully framing and light and these images, waiting for the right light, all that. But also you don't provide... Um, a ton of uh, information uh, other than there's some text at the beginning of the film that explains where you are, but, you know, we don't get um, the kind of specific context uh, that one might expect a film like this to provide you. We don't know the backstories of the, of the various characters as well. And I think this is, this actually encourages the viewer to watch and experience a film in a different way. But I'm curious about your, your thought process of why uh, I know that these are usually not things you put in your films, but in this case, you're dealing with a very complicated part of the world, a very complicated history that remains quite volatile and, and changing all the time. So the decision to remove information uh, or withhold a lot of information is, is, is interesting. Well, you know, I always feel that this, my works somehow, all the work I did, you know, from the past, uh, they start where the breaking news stop, you know, where the, the reportage stop, where the big title stop, because I experienced so much, you know, that there is a big title. And sometimes also after this big title, I go to the area and then I say, okay, what's going on here? Not too much to feel. Oh yes, there is, but it's not here the problem. The problem is there. It's like, well, you know, when you edit, there's a problem here and the problem is never where you encounter the problem. The problem is like before. So somehow I always have to find another angle, you know, because when the, there's a big, uh, you know, when I went to, 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 to Syria 
after the first invasion from Turkish, and I, I went like from the back because I didn't want to pass from back, from uh, from uh, from, um, from from Syria <laughs> officially because I, my film would be impossible to do. So I went like from uh, like a clandestine uh, there to film this. And when I was there at the border, I couldn't see anything basically because with all the strategy was between big power, American, Russian, Syrian, every, everything was very settled. There was nothing you could film there. And then the, the story was someone else always. So somehow the film, it starts where the big news, you know, the explosion of a big tag, because unfortunately we live in an area where there's so much information, so much consuming of information that then we forget about that. So that's where I want to start the film always to see what happened after we forget the big title, you know, who is still there that is running their own uh, life, you know, and on this border. That's what I wanted. So the film was always about subtraction of information. You know, the big challenge for me, this film probably pushed it even more. Um, less information. We are living in a world where you can find information, you Google, boom, you have all information about anything. And most of the time, this information are contradictory because three, after three years, I know much less than before I left. Because at least I think before I knew something. Now it's impossible to understand for me the politics, the, 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 the extreme complication, the stratification of politics, why the war between the Shia and the Sunni thing. The more you try to understand, it would be possible to, to, to make a film that is not ideological, um, following this information, you know? So I prefer to give my, my film to, to, the, to the daily life of people, to the human dimension. And then I'm sure that if you watch the film, the way I follow this journey, without asking too many questions, and without, without wanting to give too many answers, at the end, there is a moment if you sit down and watch the film without being like, okay, where, where I am, but without asking too many, you, I, I want the people to, 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 uh, to, to watch before feeling and before judging or before thing. And then I'm sure if you make this journey, like for me, these three years, at the end, you get so many answers, which is worth a thousand of questions or thousand of words, you know, thousands of interview, because I believe that, you know, it was very difficult to give, uh, I never use close-up in my film, very rarely. In this film, I did a few times. And with Ali, Ali is a, is a person that never talks. I didn't have the language. He's a very shy guy. He's a very introverted guy. And I felt completely, I was taken by his, his, his eyes, by his interior world. When I look at him, without even filming, every time his eyes, they were taking me so far away, you know? And so carefully, sometimes I try to capture that moment with the camera. It's the only time I use the 85 lens, you know, to capture this. And for me, his face, his moment of introversal life is worth it. hundreds of conversations, hundreds of uh, asking questions. And I decided at the end of the film to put uh, this 30 seconds of close-up of film, because I believe that in 30 seconds, we have all the answer we want to have it. Each person will have a different answer, but there is an answer there. In the face of the, in the face of the psychiatric, of the people, of the patient, in the psychiatric hospital, this, this close up at the end after this performance, which is incredible, the way I met and encountered that. In, in that phase, there is thousands of answers there, you know, more than the text. And so for me, what I read in that moment when I was filming him there, and I felt like it's hard to put your clothes up, your lens inside of someone that is waiting 
we know for what, you know, dramatic uh, choice of life uh, and the duty of life. We get to feed the family and he goes there. How do you say in English, the Canada reporter, to take the birds and bring it to the hunter? How do you call that? The, he goes to take the bird. Like usually his dog do that, unfortunately. How do you call that? And um, so to put the camera there, but at, at the end I had to choose like this face for us was uh, giving um, so many answers. It is about the sense of uh, suspended future there. We don't know what's going to happen to him. We don't know anything. But that moment, I think we get all the answer mm. we're looking for just by this 30 second. Like the mother also, you know, when there's one, this one tear, you get the answer by the, the mother at the beginning when she's against the wall there. Or... or, or or the weight of the hunter in the in the marshland, you know, when he's mm -hmm. waiting for birds in this world that is upside down. It looks to be marsh there. It looks to be it's a world that it transforms itself, you know. So Yeah. I think I have time for only one more question. Um, but I will also mention now that Gianfranco is joining us for a live um talk uh during the festival. Uh, where we'll cover this film and his other work as well. So, uh, and since it's live, um, audiences will be able to participate. Live audience is an audience. They're fantastic. Yes. Well, yeah, they'll be able to submit questions. So um, I'll save some of my yeah. questions for that. But I want to just come back and ask you a sort of follow-up question. You were saying earlier how, you know, just the process of, of shaping this film, of how, you, how you would put a film like this together, you know, given... Um, yeah, I feel like you have used this this form before in some of your other films of having this sort of polyphonic form with like many, you know, different characters and different voices. But here, I think just because of the, the, the terrain that you're so spread out and... and, and language is different. Language too, yeah. So some, I'm wondering... Some moment of the film is Yazidi, some moment is Arab, also different dialect of Arabs, you know, like it's, it's a constant different language that it comes out. In, in the conversation with the mother at the phone, yeah, yeah. She three times uh, she Turkey, she talks to the Kurdish, she talks Yazidi, and she talks Arabic. It's important. It's a pity we cannot get this uh, nuance in the subtitle, but it's extremely strong that moment there. But um, sorry, the, the question. But yeah, was, the question was just about how you the process of editing and like finding the the shape of the film. You know how much of it is because it's not really about narrative progression necessarily so much as maybe more about like um you know the rhythm and the mood of 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 certain moments uh and i'm wondering if the map was it was the map useful at all was that something you looked at as you well, put the film in together? an absurd way when we are editing we were never thinking about the places yeah but somehow all the places in the editing end up having his own core and his own unity so when there was bringing the silence, you know, I use the metaphor of notes, right? Mm -hmm. When you edit, there's a note, which is a moment, but this moment has to belong to another moment. And, and if, if these two choices are wrong, they don't make sense, it's like two notes. And then in between there's silence, you know, so you have to cover that space in between the two notes. But these notes has to belong to another note and another note has to belong to another note. So you have to transfer this emotion from one person, from one location to another, to another piece, and, and try to find this way. It's never rational, this. But at the end, we saw that when things were working, it's because they, they, the shot that they put in between was belonging there. 
that location was belonging to the scene. So at the end, everything he took his own form, you know, every, every shot was somehow part also of a geographical position. I never put an outside shot in a lead that didn't belong to him. Somehow it was always there because maybe of the light or because maybe of the, of the unity that is there. But when I edit, you know, for me, again, when, when I shoot, it's about missing things. When I'm editing also, it's about finding the right moment that if you push the story, from every story, I think I could have a, a one-hour film for every character, you know? So I have to find the moment that is a core, that is a synthesis on every single story. And, and, and you have to find that moment that is a synthesis of life, you know, that has a universality. And this moment has to somehow go somewhere else. And when you leave that story, you're not going to miss it because there's another story that grabs you inside. But if you push it a little more story, you're not able to live in it anymore because you want to know more and more and more and more. So the difficult part on the editing was like when to leave a story. You know, some, some, some moments, some characters never come back in the film. Uh, the hunter, you see him after 10 minutes and they lose him for 45 minutes. You completely forget about him. And then boom, he appears at the end of the movie. But that's where he had to be. So you have to keep listening. Every shot, every single story, knows where to be and you have to like somehow dialogue with that and you the film for me i always say it's finished when you there's stories that you almost die for it really physically you almost lose your life to shoot that and it's not part of the film that but yet you know there are also things that you don't see and they're not there there you you perceive that they are in the movie it's like when a perfect picture one frame of a photographer, you have to, you, there's intuition, you know what it was before and what's after that click. And sometimes a good picture, you have to, if I'm filming this, what I have in the back has to be included in that frame, you know? So there's almost a 360 degree and there's a before and there's an after. Like this, when the, the hunter is arriving with the motorcycle, we don't know where he's coming from. Yeah. We don't know where he's going. We leave him in this place like this, but for me it's enough that, because that's exactly the story that he needed to be, to be there. That's why I say in documentary, what is real, what is real you know, of you know, what is my duty, is like to find the essence of every story I say, and that's the truth, you know, I have to be truthful to the person that is in front of me. That's why I need time to know what is the core of that uh, thing, what is the, the real things, what is true or false, what is, that's what is important always. I don't care about the fiction or documentary. What I care is about true or false. And that's what I have to find always. And the most difficult part when I film is the, to find the distance with what I'm filming. This is the most hard part for me, to, to find the right distance. Because just sometimes if I get a bit closer, it changes everything. If I'm there, it changes everything. If I'm here, it changes. So to find that constant distance in every story I tell, and that's where somehow is the truth. And that sometimes happen, it has to happen immediately because things move around you and you have just to find the right moment. When I filmed the American army there, I had the chance of one shot there. They didn't want me to film. It was rainy, it was terrible. And that was only one shot I could do. And, and I thought, you know, that was a, it's a shot that is only one shot, but it's the only flag that exists in the film. Yeah. You know, I abolished all flag and suddenly, that shot of the American army being there, we don't know if they're arriving, if they're waiting, if they're attacking, if they're retreating, we don't know anything. But that shot for me is, uh, is so much because you can anticipate what was before 
and what was after that, you know? And, and that's part of taking always this, this distance, which is for me is the biggest challenge when I film, you know, to find that the element, um, the, 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 the right distance, you know, the right, uh, the right distance yeah. from, the, from me and the subject. And of course, be always aware that when there's a camera there, there's a separation and there's a transformation always. And so these are the three elements that is important for me. Transformation, uh, subtraction from information and structure when I edit, you know. We took six months to edit this film and I did, it took the struggle, 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 struggle. Sometimes I didn't know, you know, the kids, uh, the room of the kids, which is somehow the, the room of, uh, of history in that place, is the room of pain, is almost the Norimberga of, of, of the story of the film, is that this moment of confession, you know. I was so difficult to film the kids, you know, telling this uh, incredible thing. And this story was going out, in and out, in and out in the film. Is, is it right to put the, the story? And then I felt like, yes, if I don't do that, I will betray that, um, that uh, thing. Because, I mean, this is the only voice of the tragedy that happened to the Yazidi people, to these kids. You know, there's no witnessing. So through, through this drawing, it's the only witness that we have. And that uh, in the editing, was so, I would say that almost the whole editing of the film was to, to give life to that little room and that little moment. So the film somehow moved to that moment and after the moment there's a resolution in the film and the film changed completely pattern. So it was never really, you know, it was, we did a fantastic job with Jacopo, the editor, with Fabrizio, which was uh, the, the other editor of the film. We were three people constantly working, working, working for six months. And what is this point is like when the film is there, you find say, boom, we find it. Well, we didn't do that six months ago. It was so simple, you know, everything was, <laughs> everything was there. It's like the, the rubric, uh, yeah, yeah. you have to find the right combination for everything. So it's not so simple, you know, but everything is there. But if you don't know the right uh, combination, it takes forever yeah. to do it. So it took six months to edit this film. And then always you have to bring yourself to the present tense. You know, you have to forget about your experience. You have to forget about how you shoot that, how painful it was, how long it took. And so I shoot 80 hours of film and the film is only 100 minutes. But do I miss the rest of the footage? No. But yet I'm sure that even what is not there, you perceive that is there, you know, somehow. I think we do have to end it there, but um, we'll save we'll we'll save more for our, our live conversation. Um, but thank you, so thank you so much for joining us. Uh, thank you for Good the film. You, really part of the festival. Thank you. Lots of love to all of you. I miss not to be there. Hello, uh, I'm Dan Sullivan. I am a programmer at Film at Lincoln Center and a member of the selection committee for this. The uh, the rescheduled uh, 2020 edition of New Directors New Films, our annual co-presentation with the Museum of Modern Art. Uh, I want to thank you all for joining us uh, this year and for bearing with us as we uh, tried to figure out a way to uh, reschedule and coordinate this, this edition of the festival. Um, uh, I want to thank the distributor of the film that you just saw, uh, Identifying Features. Uh, I want to thank their distributor, uh, Kino Lorber, uh, for collaborating with us uh, on this. And uh, I think that's all the housekeeping. So we'll just get it 
right into it. Um, I want to welcome uh, my guests, uh, our guests, uh, uh, Fernanda Valadez, uh, uh, the director of Identifying Features, and the uh, producer and co-writer Astrid Rondero. Uh, hello, Fernanda and Astrid. Hello, hello, Ben. <laughs> so um, I thought perhaps uh, it would make sense, uh, given you're both here, uh, to, to begin by talking about. Uh, about the writing process uh, and and um, all the work on that front that that went into identifying features. Um, I was uh, I was wondering maybe we should start with the uh, with this with the structure um, uh, because it's it's very interesting um, what you do with the kind of dual protagonist uh, structure, the sort of intersecting uh, lines, almost like a yeah. Um, and, but there's also kind of a road movie element, but, you know, like, uh, presumably like a road movie on like, uh, one most, uh, people have seen before. So, um, so could you just tell us a little bit about, um, how the, how the writing of the film proceeded, maybe beginning by sort of the initial like genesis of the film? Um, well, um, around, because all of this goes quite a few years back, uh, around 2011, we were experiencing in Mexico a lot of violence that I think was different from what we had experienced before in terms of quantity, but also in terms of the brutality of, of the violence. And uh, I wanted to, to tell a story that could not necessarily portray, but kind of express this humanitarian crisis that we have been living uh, since then. So I, I wrote a short poem about the mother looking for her missing son. And uh, it already contained the element of the young man that has been deported from the US and it's, it's making his way back home. And that short film was kind of an essay, but I realized um, I wanted to, to make a broader story that could effectively talk about this humanitarian crisis so uh, we, we completely rewrote, and I think Astrid was really uh, important for the story to, to incorporate more elements and, and to play more with the structure. Uh, so I think she can tell you more about that. Yeah, well, basically what we started working on, because at some point I was telling Fernanda that I felt like it was, for me, was hard to make a, a feature out of a short film because I felt like this, the experience at what she wanted to tell was already told in the short film. But we, well, she was really adamant that she felt like it was important to make it a feature. So we started to discussing about the elements that, that we wanted to, to keep because the center of the story is basically the same. And that's how we started to understand that. And at that time, that, that's something important. Uh, the, the type of violence has started to change also. And people from middle classes started to fall prey to these kind of situations. So we wanted to, to do that, to, to try to portray that, that, that somehow it, it starts taking all types of, of, of people and, and not only migrants, not only uh, rural communities, that it was happening everywhere. And I think that was basically what we tried to do with the, with the feature. Also the idea of the, of the you know, the structure that, that um, road movies have of people crossing paths. I think that was something that really helped us, like uh, having like a broader view of what is happening in Mexico. 
So it was really interesting working on that. And we took a lot of elements out of, of um, how do you say, of, of the work of journalists, because in Mexico we have a lot of, of, of work of journalists that they also fall prey to, to violence. And it was, it was that, that was the way we worked at that time. And it was really, really interesting. Yeah. It was a, a great collaboration, I think. Yeah, I was, and um, I was wondering, um, I mean, I, I believe this was like, this was mentioned a few times in, in some pieces that were published about the film after the, the Sundance premiere earlier this year. Um, it's, it's like the film uh, does a very uh, successful, like admirable job evading a lot of the cliches um, that have, uh, that you find in particularly like, I think American films about, about the, about the situation. Um, uh, I'm, uh, I don't want to, I don't know if I should name, you know, something like Sicario or whatever, you know, these really like dire, like this is hell on earth kind of, kind of uh, films. Um, uh, could you, um, I was wondering to what degree uh, sort of avoiding some of those cliches or tropes or, or what have you was kind of on your mind while you were, while you were writing it, because I think um, it, the way, the way that you treat the subject of the film um, uh, accounts for like a lot of its kind of, like how moving and powerful it is in this context. So. I think we, we weren't thinking probably in terms of avoiding the cliches, but uh, I think our objective was to uh, make a journey, an emotional journey alongside the character. And, and I think that was the key um, of, of many of our decisions in terms of how much information to give uh, the, the audience in, in terms of what's happening around and also uh, the, the, the type of the encounters we wanted to, to portray between this character and the other people she met along the way. I think it, for, for both of us, it, it was really important to to awaken in the audience empathy and, and not, uh, not shock and not uh, social or political interest. Uh, I think for me as a Latin American filmmaker, I'm always kind of anxious in terms of, I don't want to be uh, like a curiosity to, to the rest of the world. Uh, I, I want to, to talk about human beings that are, um, even though we have our, our difference uh, in, in terms of uh, social context and, and our culture, but uh, we are all similar. So I think that was what made us um, take some decisions in terms of how, how to, to, to make our characters, I don't know. Yeah, basically it's the point of view, like, if you go to the obvious point of view of these characters that perhaps work in the in the drug dealing business or thing like that's that's how these cliches are made, and I think that that the, the great idea of Fernanda even from the very beginning of, of the short of the idea of the short film was trying to track this woman that basically knows nothing about what's happening in Mexico. She only knows her context. And, and that's, I, that, that's the reason why I feel like we, we kind of, of get away of avoiding the cliches of the genre. Mm -hmm. And it seems like um, uh, a big, I like, like a part of what uh, draws the, the, uh, the viewer in and kind of um, 
you know, the, the thing that draws the viewer into that journey, particularly, I think, uh, or one of the things is, is the film's pacing. Um, it, it's very methodical, very measured. Um, uh, so I was just wondering if uh, perhaps, it, uh, maybe this is more for Fernanda, I'm not sure, but like, um, if you could talk a bit about uh, the editing of the film and sort of finding the very like uh, distinctive rhythm that, that it has. Well, that, that, that was a really fun process to do and, and we also credited it with another editor that, that jumped in at the end, an, an American editor and, and director based in New York, Susie Corda. So I think more pace, it's kind of slow. In Astrid, it's more uh, faster, yeah, even the way she speaks and I speak, I can speak slow. And, and uh, I think when Susie helped us uh, towards the, the final cut, it was kind of understand the rhythm of, of us, but primarily of the film. So she even kind of joked. And, and when I was uh, walking on a scene, she told me to cut more. And, and when Astrid was working on another scene, she told her to, to add some frames. So... <laughs> It was kind of a negotiation to to to, uh, to, to try to find this slow pace, slow born form I wanted to tell, but uh, without boring the audience. Because at some point, I think uh, if I had done it just myself, it, it would have been quite too long. <laughs> and um, yeah, I mean, and 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 so much. It also seems like uh, so much of the kind of. Um, uh, emotional, you know, affective, like heavy lifting in the film uh, has to do with a lot of the, the visual, uh, the visual ideas um, of which this film is quite dense with visual ideas, I think. Um, maybe just to begin, to begin with, um, what, you know, what can you tell us uh, about your collaboration with your cinematographer? And uh, I want to get into like a landscape and, and the role of landscape in the film in a moment, but maybe we can just begin by um, sort of talking about that relationship. Well, I was absolutely fortunate to, to work with Claudia Becerri, the DP. And I, I, I've known her for quite a long time, but I hadn't worked with her. And I think Claudia has the best of two worlds because she has a lot of experience shooting documentaries. So she's very agile and, and she's the kind of DP that is ready all the time to, to just capture the perfect moment. But at the same time, she's very creative and, and, and has a great eye also to, to work with light, uh, natural light of, or, or artificial light. So it was kind of a great combo. And, and she's also really, really generous. And we just pretty much played a lot and, and tried to experiment a lot. Our budget was extremely tight. So we had to be experimental in terms of, okay, so we just have the light from the fire. We just have the light from the sun or just a box of matches or a couple of candles, what can we do? And I think we decided, or, or we had to decide what was more valuable in terms of, 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 of the image. And, and we, we thought that time was the most valuable asset. And we had the opportunity to wait for the right time of the day to shoot the scene. And, and if it didn't turn out okay, then we would come back and do it again. 
So in, in that sense, the film was unorthodox because uh, we shot during nine weeks, which is a lot for a Mexican production. Uh-huh. Um, and then uh, sort of like within the, within the context of that relationship, I'm wondering um, what, what sort of uh, conversations you, you perhaps have about, um, about uh, the, like the landscape, landscapes and the settings, particularly I think in the second half of the film when it almost, um, there are times when um, uh, the landscape almost seems to yield this, introduce this almost like cosmic or metaphysical kind of, kind of element to the film. So um, just how do you uh, sort of, how do you see the place of, uh, I guess, place uh, in, in, in the film? I think I wanted to, to begin the film as a naturalistic story because in the end it's, it's a social oriented story about enforced disappearances and, and migrants and the families of the missing people. But I wanted to tell as the film progresses a more expressive film. And, and so uh, we were trying that the landscape should become almost an expression of the inner landscapes of, of the characters. So um, we, we tried to make that like, a, I don't know if counterpoint it's, it's the correct expression, but, but to let the landscape express the emotions of what was going on and, and, and become less naturalistic. So we allowed ourselves to use uh, visual metaphors and, and uh, exp- a language that was not um, uh, a, a reflection of what was really happening, but more an interpretation of the characters, like uh, like the devil, for example. Mm-hmm. And there's a there's a shift in the uh, I mean the palette the palette of the film throughout is like very very distinctive, I think. But then it um, it changes across the film too. I, um, uh, yeah, I mean. Um, I mean, yeah, so I guess uh, it might make sense to it might make sense to discuss like the uh, the role color uh, plays and and the kind of significance of that of that shift um, across the film. Well, that that's something that almost no one <laughs> notices, and and it's that kind of the things that is your I think it was more useful for me and for Claudia than than something that the audience really gets. But we try to to make a shift across the color spectrum. So the film begins more with, with greens and then it shifts to yellow and then it goes to, to red and it, it, it ends in, in magenta. And we wanted the last shot of the film of the devil uh, that we know is the sun coming out of the flames to, to contain all the colors in, in the spectrum. Uh, because to, uh, the way I thought it, it, in the film's road movie, it's also a search of, of the truth that's behind uh, the disappearance of the boy. And, and uh, it's, it's a harsh truth that uh, shifts the way her mo- the mother feels uh, her relationship towards the two sons that she has in the end. So I think shifting from green to magenta, which is the opposite. I mean, it's kind of all too mental, but it's something that uh, we enjoy doing and, and we tried even though the audience cannot understand that because it's, it's not possible to, to understand that, but hopefully it lands uh, emotionally in terms of uh, shifting to, to red, it becomes harsher and, and I think um, raw perhaps. 
Um, I now like to ask you and uh, ask her about the about about the actors, um, uh, given the really well, particularly like you know the two the two lead performances. But um, but uh, maybe could you uh, could you two sort of tell us well, or let's let's begin maybe with uh, the casting, and maybe you two can can tell us a bit about um, about how that how that proceeded. And I imagine you have you have like a very particular kind of criteria criteria for what you were looking for, so. Team business guess. Well, uh, I, I, I have already worked with Mercedes Hernandez, the main actress in the short film we shot before this film, and also David Yescas, which is the actor that plays Miguel, the, the young man deported from the US. Uh, and I was sure I wanted to work with them again. They're both quite experienced and, and recognized actors in, in Mexico, both in, in film and, and theater. The rest of the cast, um, it's mostly local art actors from, from my hometown, Guanajuato, and most of them non-professional actors. And I, I have been wanting to, to work this way for, for quite some time, and, and even though it's 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 complicated in terms of how to prepare with them because the actors, the professional actors, expect a much more detail and and uh, profound work of the design of the character. And as in, in comparison, when you're working with non-professional actors, it's I think it's not so useful to to discuss in terms of concepts and ideas, but more in terms of how to, to become playful and, and ready just to, to, to play with fiction. Uh, but uh, I enjoyed it a lot and, uh, and I, I mean, it, it was a great experience working with, with the both uh, the different type of actors, the professional and non-professional. Yeah, because I, um, I wanted to, I, I mean, you sort of answered this already, but uh, I wanted to ask specifically about um, about working with the non-professionals uh, in the film. But actually, um, uh, maybe you know, because it seems like it left um, it left an impression on you the kind of dynamic between the professional actors and the non-professional actors. Maybe um, you know what were what were some of your um, impressions on how those kind of those types of performances sort of like um, combined or. Uh, had a collision or 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 what have you? You should talk about the workshop workshop with yeah. the young actors because that was very interesting. We 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 were like for months looking for the young actors in rural schools in Guanajuato. So when we finally picked the the last candidates for for the characters of the of the young, two young boys. Uh, Fernanda made a workshop with a, uh, well, if you want to, no, no, okay. no, they made a workshop with, that, that was really enlightening for everyone in the, in the team because we, we, get, we got to see how, how you prepare with a, with a non-professional actor. And it was my sister, she's a, she's a producer and, and an actress herself, so she made the workshop. And it was really good for bonding, but also for Fernanda to understand how how to make them play in terms of feel playful and, and, and relaxing a scene. And it was very interesting what happened there. So I think that when we went to principal photography with, with the non-professional actors, they already had a, a good sense of what 
what they needed to do. So I think that that made the, the growth easier. In the yeah, world. definitely. And and I was I'm very grateful with uh, Lisette Astrid's sister because I think what both all, all type of actors, professional, non-professional, what what they all share, what we share in general, is that the understanding that uh, fiction and, and acting it's the possibility of being for a moment in someone else's shoes. So it's, it's a game we'll know how to play because that's part of being human. That's the basis of, of empathy, I think. And I think that was very, uh, it was just fun. And, and for me, it, it gave me an understanding that I think I didn't have before about acting in, in general. And I think that was even useful for, for Mercedes uh, because even though she's very, very experienced, this um, hunger and, and this playfulness of, of these young people that they so much wanted to, to become the characters and at the same time they, they knew perfectly well it was fiction, it also gave her this um, spontaneity and this like uh, reconnection to, to the essence of, of acting, I think. And it was amazing for, for all of us. Um, I think I wanted to, uh, I wanted to conclude uh, maybe by talking about, um, about the film, I guess the film's reception uh, sort of, or, um, you know, the timing's funny because like I saw it in January uh, at Sundance and then obviously, you know, we all know what happened a month and a half later, but, um, but uh, I was, you know, um, I was wondering, uh, well, first of all, I was wondering if you had like any opportunity to, to screen the film in Mexico um, uh, yet. And, and maybe sort of, um, I'm, 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 I guess I'm especially curious uh, uh, about what, a, about what uh, like the Mexican audience um, uh, thinks of, of the film so far, since it's, we know it's been quite well received um, on the sort of international festival circuit, so. Well, we, we got the, the chance to screen the film just recently at the Morelia Film Festival and the reception was really good. We felt really, like how you say, like relieved, relieved because at yeah. some point that, that's something that happens a lot in Mexico that you, when you talk about your, the topics, like these kind of topics that are so hard for us, sometimes you get the, the fear of, of that, that, you know, that the, 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 the community sees, the, sees this film as, as you see, we're like treating bad uh, the situation or, or getting an advantage of it. And, and sometimes they, they even talk about like using this, uh, these types of stories to, to, I don't know, just to get the attention or things like that. And, when we when we uh, decided uh, on making this film, it was like this scenario was really really palpable in Mexico. Like they were saying, "Oh, just stop talking about violence. You should do some other films. We we have so many things, very interesting things that you can uh, tackle in your first film." So when we decided on doing this film, we really did it because we felt like it was important. So we were scared a little bit that that the reception was going to be difficult. And it was on the contrary, uh, I think the, the audience loved it and, and we felt like they felt what we wanted to say in the film. Like there's, of course, there's a lot of darkness in the film and it's a very 
terrible situation, but we also we're also talking about all these characters that, that that are trying to make a difference, especially the the the, the mothers, families, the yeah. families uh, in Mexico. They become like like uh, very important. How do you say it? Like activists, uh, activists in Mexico. Yeah. They're they're really doing the job that the authorities aren't doing. So for us, it was like a relief that that it was so well received. Yeah, I think we both were scared that the Mexican, Mexican audience would feel like this film was for festivals or like this film was for international audiences and feel um, deception and, and even uh, this deceitfulness. And, um, but I think they felt it, it talked about something important and something, um, I, I forgot the word, uh, proximo, something close, close, close to them. And I think we both felt besides me, we felt very happy. That's a nice note, uh, as nice a note as any to end on. Um, but uh, I want to thank both of you uh, very much for, for being here, for sticking with us uh, as we tried to figure out when we could actually do new directors this year. And um, yeah, hopefully we'll all get to hang out and in person uh, at some other, some in some other context. I don't know, <laughs> but, uh, but thank you both so much. Thank you. Thank you. We're, we're very happy to be yeah. with you. Thank you. <laughs>